when I had my first son, I had the same response that most men do, which is that uh, for the first time in my life, I really started to worry about money. And I had to learn that there was no pride in being overwhelmed. You know, there was no medal for moms who were overworked. Hi, everyone. It's Faith. And welcome to Stroller Coaster, the podcast that takes you on the wild ride of parenting, brought to you by Munchkin. We love hearing from you all, and some of you have reached out with ideas for topics, and we want you to keep them coming. Let us know what you want to hear about. Email us at podcast at munchkin.com. I wonder if you feel like I do, which is that every single day is a scramble between being a parent and working and and having some sort of other like grown up human life in addition to that. I remember before I had kids, which which wasn't that long ago, I I have a planner, like the old fashioned kind that you that you write things down in. I still use it. And every day, I still do this, I, I have a post-it note and I make a handwritten list of the things I wanna do that day. And before I had kids, I crossed off that list every day. It was, it, there was no question. I wasn't gonna to go to bed till I finished crossing off that list. And it was such a sense of accomplishment. And basically for the past nine years, because my son's about to turn nine, I, end every day with maybe one or two things on my list crossed off. And it's been a process as a parent to try to get used to the fact that you're just never going to complete it all in a day, right? There's so many, Justin, do you have, do you just have loose ends that go on till infinity? I'm a list maker as well. And so I have like, but I have like multiple lists. There's like the home stuff list, work list, secondary work list, uh, larger projects, shorter projects. And I get to the point where like my daily list is like, I put stuff on it like get pickles. And then when I get the pickles, I cross out get and circle pickles. And that just means eat, get ready to eat a pickle at lunch. And I'm just like, this is insane. What am I even doing? There's no, why does everything have to be circled? It's a feeling of being out of balance and craving balance, right? Like I think of that, uh, what's it called at the gym, the BOSU ball that oh. you that you stand on and it makes you do core work because you're always calibrating. Yeah. You're always, I'm acting this out for you. You can see me and I'm uh, acting out. I'll describe out. it. Yes. So her arms are up in the air and she's barely <laughs> balancing. It's quite dramatic. Uh, you won't she might fall. This. Well, and I think, uh, like, before you have kids, the work-life balance just sort of happens. You can sort of wake up and casually be like, you know what, I've done enough work. Uh, this week, I'm going to have some life. And then when you become a parent, it's that's why I think we make so many lists, because you have to calibrate it all. It has to be balanced. It's like you're saying, like, it's such a muscle. It's like a flex to get that work-life yeah, balance is. going, when it used to be just like a breath. Uh, if that makes sense. It does make sense. And so I think today we're going to try to figure out how to <sighs> breathe, how to breathe breathing. our way. <laughs> yes. How to breathe our way into this verb of, of balancing. Is there a way to find balance between work and life and parenting? And, and we know there is, and we just need people to help guide us. 
Wait until you hear whom we've got today. First, the inspiring Josh Levs, a former NPR and CNN journalist who's a leading expert on work-life balance and has an incredibly fresh perspective. Next, we've got a profound story about how one mom turned her lack of balance around with a husband in the military and a son with autism. Plus, we'll hear some parenting confessions, of course, and button it all with, ah, some calm time. Stay right here. I'm talking with Josh Levs, a father of three, award-winning former NPR and CNN journalist and entrepreneur, as well as the author of the book, All In. He's an advocate for making it more acceptable for men to be caregivers so that families can achieve a work-life balance together. Josh, I am chomping at the bit. I'm so excited to talk to you and hear your story. Me too. Thanks for having me. I'm so happy to be here. So so where did your, and is this a word you use? Is this a phrase you use, work-life balance? Actually, yes. I actually uh, did a column about this for a site called Strategy and Business. It was called In Defense of Work-Life Balance because some people say, well, there's no such thing as balance, so we should really say integration. Oh, uh, Lord. But I believe we need both. Balance is a feeling that I have inside that I know if I am doing my best to find that balance. Um, and integration is just the reality of the modern workforce. When did your interest in this begin? Because you sure were busy doing other stuff, busy and successful. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you. Yeah, you know, um, I was on CNN and I had created this position for myself as this ultimate fact checker guy. So I was jumping in as often as possible every hour when I could to correct the latest lies that we were hearing from anyone. Hmm. And when I, um, at the same time, had kids, I uh, started to do that search. In fact, it was happening all about the same time. That's actually why I wanted that position, because it would allow me to be on the air but not travel. So I was doing this and I was committed to it. I was trying to have the career and, you know, be there for my family every day. Um, but I will tell you, you know, when I had my first son, I had the same response that most men do, which is that uh, for the first time in my life, I really started to worry about money because mm. you know, he had major heart surgery at birth and oh you know, my bypass gosh. operation. So, yeah. So we had a, um, a real crash course in parenthood. Oh. So I was like, OK, forever we're going to need health insurance. And so at that point, I started overworking. Mm -hmm. I really, uh, because the more I worked, the more I got paid. The more I was on air, the more I got paid. Right. But I didn't want to miss any moments with my kids. So I would come home, I would work starting at 3 a.m., come home at 6 p.m., spend all evening with him, not sleep. And it was super unhealthy. Oh, my gosh. At, yeah. at, at a time, that's so hard for anybody. Like, even if your kid is A-OK health-wise, like, having a newborn is just so stressful for anybody. Oh, yeah. Is that when you first thought, hey, I, where, where's my paternity leave? Well, what? No, it was this. So, kid number two knocked me out of that way of thinking because kid number we we were very fortunate in in getting pregnant every time, but every time we had a kid, we had major drama. So, baby number two was born urgently um, with basically no uh, build up, no labor on the floor of our bedroom into my arms, not apparently <gasps> oh, breathing at first. With hello, Doctor Josh Loves. <laughs> Oh my gosh. I'm yeah. sorry, I didn't mean to make a joke in the middle of what no. turned out to be a very scary story. Okay. No, you, you did the right thing. Look, um, in the end it all worked out great. Everything worked out fine. Oh. Um, but it was scary because he didn't show any signs of being alive at first and neither of us, I didn't know what was happening because it was so premature. <gasps> in that moment, I didn't care about money at all. I care about life. 
and moments and being there. And then that's when I started to look for work-life balance and I started to do stories on the air at CNN about dads and with fellow dads. Um, but for what you're talking about, the paternity leave, that was actually the drama with baby number three. <laughs> Before you tell me about baby number three, I want you to tell me what was the response when Mm -hmm. America finally had a dad on air talking about work-life balance and what it means to be a working father? You just put your finger on it. That This is exactly what um, was so striking about it, was that it really was a finally situation. Because when I first interviewed this group of dads, uh, the first time I did it, and we had the totally normal conversations that we do in our private lives. We talked about uh, what is it that your hopes and dreams are for your kid, uh, work-life balance, your stresses. People had never seen that before. So we got so incredibly many responses. It became the number one thing on the CNN Newsroom blog. and. I started getting calls from media wanting to interview me about being a dad in the media who interviews fellow dads. Mm -hmm. And and, and so this was a wake-up call to a lot of people to realize, whoa, dads actually are like this. So then I started fact-checking fatherhood and getting rid of all these myths, all these myths like men aren't involved at home. Yes, we are. That most men don't spend an equal amount of work time as as their wives do. Uh, That's not true either. I mean, all of these things I started to correct myths on. So it became something I didn't see coming. It became its own little new mini career for me. How did you find out that you you were representing lots and lots, or perhaps you can tell me, the majority of today's fathers. In order to have real data, you need to have a representative sample of lots of people from different areas and different ways of life and different backgrounds. Um, So I started looking into the legitimate data on parenthood. And this is when I found that the average working father spends three hours each workday caring for his children. Virtually all dads who live with their kids care for them in every major category at least several days a week, if not every day. The majority of black fathers live with their children and are on average the most involved. So what? All, yep. So that is so important. That is so important. Yeah. And, and it's the first time I've heard any of these statistics. Uh, um, this is my life. I, th- I tell people this and it's always the first time they've heard it. Totally. By far, by far the majority of black dads are home. And they are on average the most involved. The, uh, clothing, bathing, feeding, doing homework with their kids, so t- telling stories, all of these things. I mean, But in general, dads are present at home across races. And all of this goes against the stereotype. And what I really found surprising that I think will speak to you in, in this podcast so much is that the stereotype of the uninvolved dad comes from the stereotype of the incapable woman at work. Ha, ha, ha. A woman wants to be a CEO? Ha, ha, ha. She thinks she can be productive at the office? No, she sits there all day filing her nails. Ha, ha, ha. A man thinks he can change diapers? It comes from this 1950s idea that each gender is incapable in the other gender's environment. Oh, my gosh. You're blowing my mind with something (laughs) that makes so much sense. The stereotype of the lazy dad is a form of prejudice against women. It is a way of saying only women really do caregiving. Therefore, they uh, must stay home from work because uh, otherwise it won't agreed. be done. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. Because because that's what women are built for. Right. Right. Yeah. I, it's got to be I women. agree with you. Right. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So baby number three comes along. And soon after, uh, you give birth to a lawsuit. <laughs> Oh, that's hilarious. 
<laughs> a bouncing baby lawsuit. A bouncing baby lawsuit. What what happened there? Right. So um, we realized in advance of baby number three that I would be needed at home to do caregiving after the birth, and that's totally normal. Men's do men do caregiving too. Unfortunately, most policies in America have not caught up with that reality. And the policies that I was under at CNN, which are part of Time Warner, made it so that any anyone could get 10 paid weeks after having a kid, except a biological father. What? I wish people could see your face right now. Her eyes just exploded out of her head. <laughs> and my 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 jaw dropped. It made no sense, but it was mm. amazingly typical. And the reason is that all of these structures were built on the assumption that in the stereotypical nuclear family, the woman will do all the caregiving anyway, so the man couldn't possibly be the one staying home. Then, because it's my family, my daughter was born. Um, my wife's symptoms from preeclampsia were very scary, and they had to induce. And she was born three weeks early, and everything worked out fine. But eleven days later, I'm home holding my four pound preemie, caring mm. for my sick wife and my two boys, asking work, mm -hmm. do I go back to work now? Because I only get two weeks, anyone else would get 10. And that's when work said I could not have the 10 weeks that anyone else would get. So that's when I launched legal action. And, and what happened with that suit? Mm. So um, happy to say that um, Time Warner ultimately revolutionized its policy at CNN, made it much, much better for almost everyone, men and women. Um, and it uh, also created a um, snowball effect for other companies because it was, you know, on the front page of the New York Times a couple times. It was on the Today Show. It was everywhere. And people started to learn. And a lot of companies that had never given this any thought realized, A, it's wrong. But B, you could face a, a set of legal action. You know, you could face legal action as well. And they didn't want to. So it helped move the conversation forward. Josh, what do we do mm. about those pervasive gender stereotypes. And if, if women are continuing the cycle mm -hmm. by only, you know, talking to women, planning with women, talking to other women on the playground, excluding the two or three dads who are there, what do, what do we do about this? So the first thing that I tell you is that when I go around and do these speeches and do events, very often after I talk, women tell me that it has caused them to rethink what they thought the balance was in their house and stop and realize some things that their husbands are doing that they didn't think about. And an example I have is, I remember my wife saying to me once, she said, how come I feel like I have to do all of their school forms? And I looked at her and I said, how come I feel like I have to do everything involving taxes and money? And she went, mm. oh, right. And so, you know, what I recommend to everyone is um, take a good look at what you each do and make sure that you are feeling that sense of balance. And if within your marriage you're not feeling that sense of balance or within your co-parenthood, whatever it is, then definitely have that conversation. Um, but I always say, like, you know, and guys, too, who may feel that they're doing more um, because they are putting in so many more hours at the office or whatever it is, um, you know, go into it with the assumption that you actually don't know how much the other person is doing. Also, you know, men might mm -hmm. be less likely to talk about it. Like, I never talk about the fact that I do those things. And my wife loves to catch me up on every little detail. So <laughs> I didn't blame her for thinking, how come I have to do that? Because I never talk. I just do it. For... Anyone listening to this who wants to be part of the change we want to see in the world, um, what would you say is something we can all do today to change this work-life balance for dads? Mm. Well, um, first of all, I have a bunch of resources at my website at joshlevs.com, and I, I encourage you to see there because what I do is I talk you through the steps, um, how to find out what the policies are at your workplace and how to mm -hmm. uh, suggest cultural changes. Um, but I will tell you just for now that 
the number one thing that everyone can do about this is communicate. And that means being unafraid about communicating. Uh, I had so many women tell me that they would have stayed at work, they would have continued to work, they would have stayed at their company, even if uh, people had said to them, we know this is a hard time for you, uh, we're not some billion dollar company that can do all the following, but what can we do that'll work for you? Same with men, if, if people had said to them, uh, we know you're having a kid, what's it like, how are you doing, how are things, and how can I help? Or you have a, a sick loved one at home, or so anyone you're caregiving for. Um, you know, we need to, to tackle the policies and, and the laws, absolutely. But the number one thing we can do is end these negative stereotypes about men and women. And we do that by normalizing the fact that human beings are capable of being caring. Most human beings are caring. And that uh, men are a part of that. Uh, the more we talk about it with each other, the more we acknowledge it, the more we support these conversations in every environment we ever enter into, the more we reject that madman thinking of the past. I can't thank you enough. This this has been a profoundly eye-opening, eye ear-opening conversation. Um, you have a very lucky family, and uh, and 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 thank you for the uh, for the change you're making in the world. Well, I'm the fortunate guy, and I, look, I really appreciate uh, the show. Appreciate the conversation, um, and you know, anyone out there who wants to reach out to me, you know, go to LinkedIn right now, find me. Go to the website right now, find me. I I love when people share stories, and you know, I will tell you that there's a community of men and women who, if you're struggling and or if you want to join the the effort, will be here for you. Justin, okay, I love him. I want to hear from you first because you're the dad. Yeah, that was like a maximum dad power. That was a dad adrenaline <laughs> shot right to the heart. Like, yeah, okay, dad, step. You have up. high, you have high tea right now. One hundred percent. The straight tea injection. All my gray hair and my beard just went black again. It's great. So, it talking with Josh made me think of. A question I asked my son, he was barely two when I had my newborn daughter, and I, I, it occurred to me, I don't even know if our kid knows what my husband and I do for a living. Yeah. And I said, I said, Augustus, that's my son's name, um, do, you know, do you know what mom and dad do for work? And he said, he just didn't skip a beat. He's like, yeah, um, mommy breastfeeds all day and daddy cleans. Oh, man. <laughs> Like, and those are our jobs. And I was like, that's fair. Yeah, and you're like, oh, I wish. <laughs> I wish that was the full answer to that question. Well, I will say my, my husband is scrupulously clean and does clean more than I do and also cooks more than I do. But um, it's, you know, until you ask the questions, until you invite the conversation, which I think is what Josh keeps coming back to, right? You don't know what other parents are going through. You don't know how dads really feel. And, and what's so fascinating and illuminating is Josh is telling us lots and lots and lots dads. Most dads feel the same way, which is that they want more time at home. And to hear it as sort of as uh, hard data points is always just so gratifying because it, then it feels so much more real. Um, I also love the way it's like we don't know what's happening in parents outside of our individual households, but also we lose touch sometimes internally where it's, I love the example where he was like, do you know how much I'm doing around the house? And he's like, well, do you know how I'm doing the taxes all the time? We don't ever talk about that. And like, like that sort of like yeah. check-in is so important. Um, that's something that we need to do at my house a little bit more often, I think. Mm -hmm.
how do you find balance when you're a stay-at-home parent, a single parent, or, or when you have a partner but they're away a lot? Marla Batista is a writer, speaker, and philanthropist. She's the mother of three children. One of her children has autism, and her husband is in the military. She told us about how she lost herself, turned it around, and how she and her family are thriving. Our correspondent, Fleece, has the parenting story of the day. Marla Batista has three children and a husband in the military. That means moving every few years. Having a spouse in the military is like having a full-time job. New schools, new people, new friends, new doctors even. Life was chaotic. Her challenges were even greater when her first child, Junior, was diagnosed with autism. I started noticing these changes with him. At the age of nine months, he began saying mama, dada, and all the normal things, but he never said anything else. I contacted the doctor, um, and this was just for a regular 16-month checkup, and you go and you look at the forms and there's this evaluation. I was looking at the paperwork and more than half of the things listed he didn't do. The guilt that poured over me after his diagnosis was unimaginable. Marla was also in college, living in a foreign country, and she and her husband were struggling in their marriage. It was just so many things happening that seemed like they were just piling up against me. And honestly, I broke. Marla decided that she needed an intervention. Not the kind of intervention you think. It's not for drugs or alcohol, but it was kind of a self-awareness intervention. I needed to find out what happened to that amazing, strong, independent woman I used to be. I needed someone to say, no, you need to take action. You don't need to sulk in your pity. You need to stand up and take action and get your life on track. Marla needed to recognize what she liked and didn't like. I became self-aware, unfortunately, when my life was crashing down on me. It was a moment of self-revelation in a sense because I realized that I was doing so many things that I didn't care for. Recognizing and communicating those likes and dislikes was a step in making changes. My husband loves watching movies and I'm like, okay, you know, I want him to be happy, but I don't like watching TV. So I would sit there bored, you know, twiddling my fingers and honestly falling asleep. And I realized, you know what, that's something that I don't want to do. What I decided to do was say, you know what, I don't like watching movies. I'm really not into that. I love reading books. I love writing stories. Um, That's something that I love to do. He said, you know what, okay, you watch movies with me for so long. I want to read a book with you. It was it was a really great moment and I appreciate his attempt um, to compromise but in it I didn't need him to compromise I needed myself not to compromise and say no I, I just don't like it and I won't be doing that anymore another thing that the counselor helped her with was setting boundaries that was something that was really hard for me Because setting boundaries as a mom, you should be there for your kids. Everything you do is for your kids. Your life is surrounded by your children. And if you are not, how dare you? And so I felt the weight and the pressure of setting boundaries versus being a good mom. 
And this is one of the key points that, you know, my therapist told me was, this isn't going to be easy. Not everyone's going to accept your boundaries. Not everyone's going to agree, but that's okay. She also learned how setting boundaries helped her children. One thing I didn't realize is the more that I lost myself, I was teaching my kids that it's okay to lose yourself. And that's not okay. Boundaries included communicating expectations with encouragement. For example, the challenge of guiding 11-year-old Junior to take care of himself. Trying to make him take his own bath when he is literally the size of his mom. I said, I can't do this anymore. You are too big. You can wash yourself. And he cried and cried. And I mean, he knew how to tug at mommy's heartstrings. I knew he was capable of taking his own shower. But if he screamed for me, I would come running. And so I closed the door. He's screaming as he's washing his hair. And then he'd get out clean as a whistle. You're a mean mom. I'm like, but you're clean. You did it. You can do this. And then there was initiating quiet time, which at first wasn't easy. 30 minutes of quiet time means that we're going to go into our rooms. You can do whatever you want in your room. You can draw. You can paint, you can do puzzles, you can watch TV, you can play video games, you can play with your toys, but you have to stay in your room and you have to stay quiet for 30 minutes. And when we first started this, every two seconds, someone opened their door. I had to literally sit outside of their bedroom doors for months. Every couple of seconds, there's one kid popping his head out of the door. Mommy, can we come out? I'm sorry. We're going to go back in our room. This isn't punishment. They're not in trouble. This is just teaching them to ground themselves. This is teaching them that it's okay to separate yourself and just be calm and be in the moment and be present. And this teaches them that as individuals. Because guess what? Mommy will like to go in her room for 30 minutes uninterrupted too to just sit in a calm room. Take that time to just relax and and have a dimly lit area and just rest your eyes. It makes such a difference in your life. I come out, the kids are doing the 30 minutes now in their rooms and when they come out, they're telling me, I've learned these new jokes, mom. I learned how to play this song on my keyboard, mom. I drew this picture for you, mom. And it was a positive experience. Connecting with her own likes and dislikes, communicating them, setting boundaries, and creating healthy routines brought Marla to a new level of finding balance. Being burnt out wasn't cool. Every day I struggled to wake up. Every day I drug myself into the bed. And I thought I was supposed to feel good about it because I cooked and I cleaned and I went to school and I worked and I mommied. And I had to learn that there was no pride in being overwhelmed. We literally flipped the switch to autopilot and we just kept going way past our breaking point. And that is not okay. We have to learn to rest. And it's okay to take things off of your plate. I do that by outsourcing. Use your village. Rely on the people around you. And that doesn't have to be your family. It doesn't have to be friends. It could be paid services. You can use virtual assistants. You can pay for two hours of work 
And in that two hours, you'd be amazed what you can get done. You can use a housekeeper. This isn't something that you have to have a lot of money for. If you can only pay for an hour or two of housekeeping, you do that once a month. You would be amazed at how much cleaner your house stays when someone else is doing it. Outsource that time. Use a laundry service. And it's like we think about, well, you know, that kind of costs a lot of money. But how much money are you wasting by not, you know, working? With all of these tools in place, now Marla's key is consistency and grace. You've got to give yourself some grace, but you also have to give your children some grace because this is a learning curve for them. Learning how to set boundaries and being consistent is an uphill battle. It's not something that's going to happen overnight. And how is Junior doing? Junior has become this leader in his own right. And that is something that has truly helped and blessed our family because of the boundaries that were set. Because I was able to say, I can't coddle you anymore, Junior, because I felt guilty because he had autism. And so instead of me coddling him, I held him to a higher standard and said, Junior, I expect you to sleep in your own bed. I'm expecting you to take a bath by yourself. I'm expecting you to put on your own shoes. And today he does it without an issue. And I am so grateful that he does. Marla is a writer, an entrepreneur, a mother, and a wife. And she told us that she continues to grow. Once I started to implement the boundaries, I realized the calm that took over in our home. It brought this sense of family. I believe that any time is a good time to find yourself to find your balance, to find the balance within your home. It doesn't matter if your kids are infants or teenagers. It's not going to be easy, but it is going to be worth it. It absolutely is going to be worth it. You know what I love about that story, Justin, is that Marla just demonstrates that it's never too late to make a change. I mean, no matter, also like your kids are always growing. So you're always having to adjust the way you're gonna find balance in your life as a person and as their parent. Yeah, that, that's the tricky part about all this talk about work-life balance. Like work is always shifting, life is always shifting. So you're balanced, you're like, I got it. I finally figured it out. And you're like, oh no, it's that's <laughs> yesterday, guys. You can't, yes. that's not at all right. And like Marla's story like felt like so many changes in her life. She was always moving new location, new work-life balance, like that is the emotional labor of that, of reassessing and yeah. finding that is, is very difficult to me. Uh, Justin, I just have like a, just a shiver of glee and joy to hear a man say emotional labor. So thank you for that. <laughs> it's time for Parenting Confessions. We stopped by the playground to hear the parenting secrets that people just like you wanted to get off their chests. Well, I have this bag in my freezer. It's been there for years, and I hide my secret stash of ice cream in it. It came from the grocery store, and it's labeled seafood in big letters. So my kids would never dream of looking in a bag labeled seafood, and actually, my husband still hasn't figured it out. We once forgot to update our clocks at daylight savings, then decided to keep them wrong for an extra day so the kids would go to bed early. 
So I told my daughter that when she lies, her ears turn green. So now when I ask her a question and she lies to me, she covers her ears so I can't see them. And it's so, so cute. Got your own parenting confession? Send it to us at podcast at munchkin.com. We'd love to hear from you. Want to win not one, but two of Munchkin's Miracle 360 Wild Love Sippy Cups? This special line of Munchkin's top-selling spill-proof cups features illustrations of endangered animals, including African elephants, polar bears, orcas, and more, and supports the company's donation to the International Fund for Animal Welfare and the Whale Sanctuary Project. Be one of the first 10 people to email the words wild love to podcast at munchkin.com to win. Good luck. That's the show. Thanks for taking the ride with us. And thanks to our guests, Josh Levs and Marla Batista. And we want to thank you for listening. If you know anyone who needs some commiseration, inspiration, and community, please share our podcast with them. If you want more information about any of our guests, check out strollercoaster.com. Thank you to Munchkin for helping us put this together. No wonder they're the most loved baby brand in the world. You can buy all of your Munchkin products at Target. At Stroller Coaster, we're all about community. If you have a parenting confession story you'd like to share, a question, or a topic you want to hear more about, don't hesitate to reach out to us at podcast at munchkin.com. Oh, and just a reminder, if you haven't checked it out yet, you got to check out Stroller Coaster Storytime. It's our storytelling podcast for parents and children to enjoy together. It's short, fun, and creative. Uh, it's a take on children's stories performed by improv actors and directed by a kid, a child director. Have I ever maybe heard your voice on that? I testing? sneak in. I sneak in. <laughs> I appreciate I've really that. forced myself into every aspect of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and now something every parent can use, a timeout for you. Munchkin cares so much about our planet. Today, we'll enjoy the peaceful and purposeful sounds of planting a garden. See you next week on Stroller Coaster. 